0: Perik Tes, nine, six. The previous Mishnah took us off topic, talking about gifts that went uh, for Sivlonos to the, the Kala before her wedding. We're now returning back to our primary topic of the Perik, which is um, dealing with um, how to allocate resources after someone dies or not, um, outside of the general basic rules of of, uh, of Yerusha, Nachla, as they were described in the previous Perik. So here we have the Shchiv Meira, the person on his deathbed. Literally, shchev means to like to lie down. Shchev, and he's lying, and meira from bad things, so meaning he thinks he's going to die. So we've seen this before. There's a basic rule that there's a special tekanas that the shchev meira may uh, verbally alone through Debor, through just speech, allocate his resources, his his estate, and um, that should be binding as divrish shchev meira the words alone as, are as if he formally wrote them down and handed over, like in a binding kenyan. And the idea is that we want to minimize um, his his uh, anxiety and stress while he is uh, in this state, precarious state, lest he die and, or this make him die sooner. So we let him have his mind put to rest, that at least he can arrange his financial affairs. Now, the rule is that a shched if he relies on this mechanism of simply deep or of simply verbally allocating you know, his resources to all his, uh, whoever he wants to give it to. If he doesn't die, so then we say, listen, he gave away all his stuff because he thought he was going to die. He was relying on this special Takana Sakam that Debor should work. He didn't die, so the gifts aren't given, and the, it just everything snaps back to how it always was. And if he wants to give, you know, stuff away, he'll have to use the formal, usual mechanisms of kenyan. Our mission is going to discuss not that. Our mission is going to discuss where the person was a Shechiv Memra. He thought he was on his deathbed. He did, however... Um, not just rely on speech, but did a formal binding Kenyan. So, if he had the farm in Montana, he wanted to give it to his favorite nephew, and he um, either, you know, he d- either gave him, you know, wrote the deed out and gave it to the grant, the nephew, or you know, he the nephew's not around, so he that would instead of being a, a, a stark matana gift contract, that would make it this, the, the nephew's. Instead, he makes it to star riot So he does it's a, the memorialize the fact in front of two witnesses. He did, let's say, a, a Kenyan sudar. He lifted up a handkerchief, transferring rights um, of the field and the contract of the, the farm in Montana. And then the contract would simply say, you know, Reuven and Shimon were witness the fact that um, this fell on his death, but the uncle gave the field to his nephew. And this contract is not a contract, but it's a document that confirms, um, as a star as a right confirms that it was gifted to the nephew um, over there in Montana. Now, Our wants to ask the question, what happens if the fellow, the benefactor, ends up not dying? And he claims, yes, of course, it was a binding Kenyan, but that was only because I thought I was dying. And since I wasn't dying, it shouldn't be binding. So now what? Do we say it essentially was like a gift made under false pretenses and therefore he can renege on the gift or do we say, no, listen, a gift is a gift, but it's a but it's a binding gift. It was legally binding through the normal mechanisms. And therefore, um, the recipient of the gift can, can keep it. So says our Mishnah, we have to, if the benefactor was explicit, if he said, I'm only gifting this to my nephew because I'm dying. Or even if he says, listen, look, I'm dying. So... And I want to give my nephew this instead of going to my son's for whatever reason. So I'm giving it now, you know, as a gift from my deathbed, anything like that. So then, of course, it's clear that what's motivating him is the fact that he's dying. But if he doesn't say any of those things, so now how do we know that was what was motivating? We have to sort of figure out what was going on inside his head. Maybe he just was giving a gift and he would, at the time he gave it, he would be happy that it would stand even if he ended up not dying. How do we know? So says the Mishnah, Well, if a person is on his deathbed, he thinks on his deathbed, and he gives away his stuff to other people, let's say his stuff to his nephew over there instead of it to his sons. But Vishir Karka Kol but he retained something for himself. Literally it means he left over any amount of land for himself. As far as if the land is not essential, it could be he said, I'm giving everything away except what's inside my wallet, I'm keeping for myself. Um, there is a question how much is Who How much is any amount? Kolshehu normally means any amount, even you know, one dollar $1 worth. Um, but I'll come back to halacha that's in the, and the Roshonim and, and the poskim, what that means exactly. So then, since he's retaining something for himself, matnaso kayemes, his gift stands, meaning even if he gets better, the fact that he retained. Some of his assets for himself would suggest strongly that he was giving it not because he thought he was dying. Because he really thought he was dying, why did he retain stuff for himself? What's that going to help him? And therefore we assume that the gift was a bona fide gift, the contract stands as it's written, and therefore the nephew gets the gift from the uncle, um, and he can't, the uncle can't back out of it. On the flip side, lo shir Karku if the uncle, the benefactor, didn't retain anything for himself, he gave all the stuff away, so then, Enmat Naso Kayemis, then his gift wouldn't stand because it's clear. Nobody denudes himself of all his assets. So obviously, what was motivating this fellow is that he thought he was going to die. Since he thought he was going to die, he gifted the stuff away. Um, and, uh, but now that he didn't die, so those gifts were made under false pretenses and they're not gifts after all. I just want to put it parenthetically here I, don't want to, I want to contrast this. If a person does a, a sale, and then circumstances change after the sale, the person can't go back on it. But here it's a gift. So the gift we're saying is clearly motivated um, from the fact he thought he was dying, and he, he wouldn't have given it if he wasn't dying. Okay, so that's the first part of our Mishnah, um, which I'm going to sum up here and la. If a person makes it explicit he's gifting because he's dying, he doesn't die, the gift isn't binding. Okay? Even if there's a binding kenyan. In the event that he gifts and he, it's with a binding kenyan, but he gives everything away, then it's clear he thinks he's dying, even though he didn't say it explicitly, and again, it won't be binding, he could renege if he gets up from his deathbed. Now, the Mishnah says, the Chiddush the Mishnah is, if he retains some stuff for himself, then clearly he didn't think he was dying, or probably didn't think he was dying. We can't be sure, I shouldn't say clearly. He probably, I should say, thought he was dying, um, because otherwise, why is he retaining stuff for himself? There could be a good answer to that question, for example. He could say, yeah, I retained stuff because I was happy to let the normal rules of, he to kick in, and that what I didn't give away go to my normal conventional heirs, as opposed to my nephew. But, anyways, we don't know that. What we can see in front of us here is that he's retaining stuff. We don't know why he's retaining stuff, so we have to assume that the gift is binding. He did a formal Kenyan. Okay. Now, how much does he have to retain? The Mishnah says Kol Shehu. Kol Shehu, under normal circumstances, means any amount, and that's how the Riff understands it, and the Shulchan the machaber goes like the riff. So if he retains even just, not even land, but just you know five bucks in his wallet, so what's the five bucks for? It must be he thinks he may not die, and therefore um, the gift will be binding. On the flip side, the rosh holds that he has to retain for himself an amount of assets that would support him, be able to support him in the event that he didn't die. So that means enough field to support the of, or enough cash in his wallet to live out the rest of his days from those savings. If not for that, so then we have no indication he thinks he's going to live, because what's five bucks going to do the guy if he survives? Nothing. So therefore, um, if he, he doesn't retain that much um, to support himself, should he not die, it's not considered to be enough to make it that, to indicate that he thought he wasn't going to die, and therefore um, his gift wouldn't stand. Um, that's how the Ramah paskins like the Rosh, so... Um, significant machlokos over there. Now, the mission continues on, and uh, it says a little bit of a different case. Now we're talking about a case where a person um, is writing contracts. He, in in fact, um, is uh, he's he's gifting in a way that he is. Um, let's say he's sending a he he does a gift to his nephew in Montana from his home, his maybe sickbed, maybe deathbed, we don't know now you'll see it's ambiguous and in the, he does the, the contract that is sent to the document that's sent to the nephew says, you know um, uh, due to the unfor- unfortunate circumstances, I'm giving you my home in Mon- the, the ranch in Montana so now, if he would have written explicitly since I'm on my deathbed and I'm dying so it would be clear that it's only a gift because he thought he was dying, and therefore, if he didn't die, he could renege. Um, on the other side, if it wasn't ambiguous at all, it was just a formal gift, so then now when he goes to court and says, I want my house, my farm back in Montana, so the nephew will say, what are you talking about? This is, it's binding, it's mine. And you're just now having second thoughts and making up an excuse saying, oh, I would thought I was on my deathbed. Who said you were? But the document that in question here is an ambiguous one where it's, could be interpreted to say he was motivated by his thought of him dying, but it's not explicitly the case, okay? So he wants to back out of it now. He wants to back out of it, and they're in court. So they're in court over who should get the, and this is what they're saying. They're, what they're claiming is, the uncle says, it's my farm in Montana, I only gifted it to my nephew because I thought I was dying. And the nephew says, no, you're making that up. You just have you know remorse. You're, you have second thoughts by gifting it, but you gave it at the time, and what's mine is mine. You can't take it back now. So the question then becomes: Well, since the nephew says no, you were fine at the time. You didn't think you're dying, and the uncle is saying, "No, I thought I was dying, and that's why I gave it to you." So the question is: On whom is the burden of proof? Who has to you know who 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 do we give it to if we have no witnesses and nothing more to go on? The uncle, the benefactor. Um, who could, could claim that it was a mistake, he thought it was dying, and we believe him, or the nephew saying, Listen, the contract is a contract that's binding and like he's just having a second thought. So says the Mishnah <laughs> He gives a contract that's would be normally binding to the benefactor, we call him the nephew, and it doesn't say explicitly what's motivating it is that he the uncle thinks he's dying. So now they're in court. The uncle says, Well, I thought I was dying, and that's why I gave it, but I didn't die. So therefore I want it back. The hein, but the recipients, the nephew, says, bari haya." No, you're making that up. At the time you gave it, you weren't on your deathbed. You knew you weren't you weren't on your deathbed, and now you just are having second thoughts, so and now you want to you claim that you're on your deathbed. So, according to the first sheet of Vrimir, Tsarh lahira shchiv Shhivmira, the Meir. Remer says the burden of proof is on the uncle, the benefactor, to prove that he thought he was dying. Okay? Hold that thought is to the lumdis. why? And the Chacham disagree. The Chacham say no. Chacham omrim hamot mechavir lavaraya. You nephew want to take this out of your uncle's hands and keep it for yourself? You have to bring a proof that he wasn't a Shechid at the time um, he wrote it. So the mechlok is over who the burden of proof sits on. Now the Lambdus here is as follows. Um, the Rule is that we keep property in its with its chazaka. It, it prevails. The chazaka meaning um, what I translate as status quo. Now there really are two competing status quos here. On the one hand, you have what's called the chazaka de hashta, um and that is what Reb Meir is focused on. The chazaka da means the current status quo, the current chazaka, meaning the business says, listen, we, we look with our own eyes. What do we see right now in front of us? We see a healthy uncle. We see a binding contract. So we should presume that's what the status quo is, and if someone wants to change what we're seeing in front of our eyes, the uncle looks healthy now, he left the burden of proof is on the uncle to show, well, he is healthy now, but he thought he was dying back then. On the other hand, if you recall back to the beginning of the sect, we kind of had this issue of like the marakama, the last known, when it comes to real estate, the last known uncontested owner, he's the one who's the mukhsak, he's the one who was like the status quo is with him as being the undisputed owner, and if someone wants to change that, He'll need to bring a raya. And that's kind of what the Chacham are saying here. They're saying, listen, we know the uncle was the owner. Now the nephew's claiming this is binding. The uncle says no, it wasn't. And he explains that, that ambiguity in the contract when he said something like, you know, the, due to the unfortunate events, is referring to that he thought he was dying. And the burden of proof now is on the nephew to, uh, to show that um, the uncle wasn't in fact wasn't, in fact, a shechid at the time. Otherwise, the uncle, being the marakam, will be able to dispute the contract and say the gift wasn't meant to be binding. Again, it's a gift. It's not a, it's not a sale. Okay? Halach the chachamim, meaning that the mozi in this case is considered to be the nephew, and he, alav haraya, he is going to have to bring proof that the uncle, in fact, um, uh, didn't think he was a and that he was dying if the nephew is to keep the, the, uh, the gifted piece of property in question.